Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined by my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. And not my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Boo. Yeah, exactly. Michael dipped out this week because he's got family responsibilities, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Apparently, um, he's moving, like moving from Jacksonville up to Nashville. So... That means two things. First of all, he won't be on this podcast, which really isn't much of a loss. No big deal. Um, but we've, we've done it before with Adam. We'll do it again. Yeah. But what it does mean is that he won't be calling in every week. So he'll be on a microphone in studio in the bonus room um, here in Nashville. So that'll be great to have him here in person doing it every week. It's going to be a blast. We're really excited to have him move up here. It reminds me, Jeff Bezos, send me a new microphone. Because we, we need a third one. We don't have one. Yes, we do. Wait, what's wrong with his microphone? He uses it. It's a USB. It doesn't plug in. It plugs into his computer. Oh, it doesn't plug into our, our gotcha. um, soundboard. Yeah. Jeff, if you're listening, because I know you're a huge Browns fan, we're going to be making an order soon. So if you could just expedite that. Well, there's the dispensary. Huge fan of the pod. Yeah, huge fan of the pod. Jeff Bezos. Just want to get that out there. Um, he also shaves with Barbasol shaving gel. Um so if he actually listened to the pod, I'd be so pissed that he didn't sponsor it. But like his hundred billion dollars or whatever if, if crap listen, he has. If he even listened to the pod for like two minutes at a time, yeah. I'd be pissed if he didn't give us a little sum sum. Like just give me a thousand dollars. If we wasted two minutes of a time, like what's the opportunity cost of two minutes of Jeff Bezos' time? Like what like it's gotta be a crap ton of money. It really does. I, I honestly think he could pay to fly us to wherever he is to do like a live rendition of the pod. No, if and it would be more valuable to him than two minutes. Yeah, than actually <laughs> listening to us on the internet. Of his personal precious time. So, anyway, since um, we've got a lot going on in the Browns world, obviously the Senior Bowl is huge because we have the number one and number four pick. So we have our friend Pete Smith is going to be coming on the podcast and talking about the Senior Bowl. He actually went to the Senior Bowl. He was at all the Senior Bowl practices. And um, so that's going to be really exciting. We're going to have him on the podcast. And moving forward during this offseason, we're going to try to have as many guests as we possibly can on. Um, people that know stuff about the draft, people that have an inside look. We've talked about a couple intriguing options. I, I yes, hope we, we I, I don't want to spoil it because if we don't get them, it'll be kind of embarrassing. But um, I, I hope that we can we can get them when we put our brains together. We came up with some good ideas and some people who will have interesting perspectives on, on the draft, on the NFL, on coaching, on uh, different aspects that should be interesting for people who listen. Absolutely. So this week on the pod, we're going to be talking about the Senior Bowl. We're going to be talking about everything you can imagine from who we're going to pick in our draft class. Please welcome to the podcast, everyone, and by everyone I mean only Matthew, Pete Smith. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Pete. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. This is my favorite Browns podcast that features three brothers. <laughs> There's only two of us today, but um, you missed the introduction, I think. But our our oldest brother, Michael, is in the process of moving up here from Jacksonville. So he's moving to Nashville uh, this weekend. So he's he's got his hands full. Yeah, he does. And... Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask you the same question. What is your favorite Browns-hosted brothers podcast, Pete? 
If you had to, if you had to make an answer. Well, I it's mean, okay if it's not us. It really is. We love the surviving the season guys. We really do. I, I think uh, surviving the season guys are great, uh, but given that I'm on this show right now, I'm not going to go against that. Uh, but the only thing that I'm, I'm sad to hear that we're losing our our uh, Waffle House correspondent in Jacksonville. Mm. True, but he's coming up to Nashville, and he's going to be um, – there's plenty of Waffle Houses up here in Nashville. I guarantee you, Pete. Um, so – Pete, you actually had the chance to go to the Senior Bowl this past week. Um, tell me a little bit about that experience. What was your – is this your – how many times have you been? I've been trying to figure that – I believe this is five. Wow. I, because the first one I was at was the uh, Derek Carr draft, which would have been 2014, so I think that's five. Um, so basically you go there for a week, and, and if, you, if, if you have the chance to go, I'd highly recommend it. It's basically like football vacation – Uh, but but you're basically taking this giant you know what 11 billion dollar industry or whatever it is and cramming it into mobile alabama and it's yeah it's just crazy how that sort of plays out and the the, like so much of the senior bowl goes in and around this this really nice hotel in downtown mobile but you know if you go out at night like there's the if you if you see the name Veets, it's because it's this you know pretty cheap bar that's literally across the street from uh, from this hotel, uh, and you know the amount of money that goes in there, and the amount of people who could go in there, plop down a bunch of cash to buy the place, walk out, and never yeah. think about it again, is pretty pretty staggering. So it's it's interesting. You'll never you know you're always surprised to sort of see who you're around or who you bump into but i mean it really is a sort of the entire nfl machine crammed into this really laid back sort of environment uh whereas it's as much about the players as much if it's almost like uh it's almost like a class reunion type feel with so many of these guys uh who know each other and then there's an element of a job fair where you've got guys who get jobs down there, who go there looking for jobs, all, all this type of stuff all going on in this, uh, in Mobile, Alabama, of all places. So does it feel like the NFL descends on Mobile? Or if you just happen to be in Mobile at the same time, would you even notice that it was going on? Do you have to be you, like in the right place at the right time? No. Uh, for example, uh, one of the best places down there to eat is called the Brick Pit. Uh, it's like probably 20 minutes away from everything. Uh, and like the one of the nights I was eating there, Pat Shermer walked in with his full Giants regalia. It's that type there of thing. There it is. Brand new, uh, brand new Giants regalia. Yeah. Probably just got handed yeah. that this morning. No, but he, no, I mean, he had in his closet a while. Certainly downtown is more active, but yeah, I mean, it's the, the NFL sort of takes over. Uh, and, and, you know, Phil Savage and his guys do a great job with it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's just the NFL and NFL takes over and, uh, you see them all over the place. Yeah. And if you've never been to Mobile, Mobile is not a huge town. I mean, a couple, couple hundred thousand people probably. Um, it's, it's not real big. So if you, if you bring any significant amount of people like the, the entire NFL to Mobile, it's going to be fairly noticeable, I would imagine. All right, so there was a few name drops there, mostly just Pat Shermer. Who else did you see? Did you get any have any interesting conversations, or um, what was what was the most exciting part about it for you? Oh, for me, it this was year. going fan. It was going fanboy on Andrew Barry. Uh, nice. Yeah. 
Nice. I knew that. Did he get a restraining order, or did you did you play it cool? Oh, uh, I'm I'm sure he thinks I'm some kind of weirdo, but that's all. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'll live with it. Uh, basically, told him he was great. Uh, no, honestly, no, that's living, man. You got it. Most starstruck I get. Shoot your honestly, shot, Pete. Like, Shoot your shot. Yeah. Right. The most starstruck I get is like when I end up standing next to guys like Dan Marino and John Elway. It's not like players or coaches now it's those guys i sort of grew up watching right yeah, for sure that's awesome so what'd you say to andrew barry what was that interaction like <laughs> it's like i basically <laughs> told him i went like you know chris farley show on him i was like i'm you know, I'm really big fan of the past two drafts uh uh i you know i'm excited that you're still around i hope i hope they keep listening to you and he was real gracious about really nice guy which is sort of his rap but uh yeah it was just sort of throwing it all out there super quick. He's probably also one of those guys that doesn't get recognized very often. Like you, like even a fair number of Browns fans, I would suggest probably don't recognize Andrew Barry if they're standing right next to him. So for him to be out and somebody come up and talk to him probably took him by surprise a little bit. As far as randos like me, maybe, but certainly he has a lot of friends in the NFL draft. The NFL organization. Well, well, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a bunch of people that that he knows and people who work in the NFL know who he is. But as far as somebody that he doesn't recognize coming up to him, I'm sure that doesn't happen terribly often. Yeah, that... I, I don't. I don't know. But he, if, if he doesn't forget that one, then I made my an indelible mark. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly sounds, Pete, like exactly like the interaction that I had with Tim Tebow when he came to visit Nashville. He was like doing some speaking event. I, if you don't know, I'm a I grew up a Florida Gators fan. So like you were saying, those those people that like when you were watching football, you became a huge fan of. Tebow was like driving out of some speaking event in a golf cart. I was like 15, and I was like running after him in the golf cart next to him, like huffing and puffing. Like Tebow, Tebow, like I hope you get drafted by the Browns. He was like, Mike Holmgren's a great guy. Like there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Dod- dodged a bullet there. <laughs> yeah, we really did. But I still would have been happy. Yeah. Tim, if you're listening, I love you. Just sorry. Yeah. It's, it's okay. So true. Um, so, Pete, obviously the huge conversation, especially for Browns fans coming out of the Senior Bowl, um, is the two senior quarterbacks who were there. We've got Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. My kind of take on the Senior Bowl, it's – it's certainly helpful for talent evaluators to see these guys practice in person from an outsider's perspective, from a fan who doesn't really watch all the practices, didn't watch the whole game. It's kind of just a trap for confirmation bias. Like if you didn't like Josh Allen coming in, you're not going to like him coming out. If you didn't like Baker Mayfield going in, you're not going to like him coming out. What was Having watched all of the practices, what was your takeaway? Were you surprised by either of them or did it just kind of – like? further cement your opinion going in uh for me you know i think it mostly confirmed what i already thought i I felt like going into this josh allen had to be great to sort of justify all the you know the lofty uh approximations people have made on it basically you know saying that well you know, Wyoming wasn't very good. He lost this, that, and the other thing. Uh, you know, all these, all these things. So, he, you know, with with you know with shorts on or with pads on and no rush or whatever, that basically he should crush it. Uh, and and in that scenario, then you could really talk about well, you know, I, I 
you know, it, it may not have showed on, up on tape, but at least there's this thing where he was great. Um, and and honestly, I didn't feel like that happened. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, what you get on tape is really what you see with him. He's really inconsistent. Having said that, I thought he was better on as the week went on. And obviously, he did pretty well in the game, but uh, he still has accuracy issues. He still has, you know, inconsistencies with with the various things. He tends to miss high if he's going to miss. Uh, you know, watching him warm up, it's fun. I mean, the ball explodes out of his hand real easy. Uh, I mean, certainly if you're, you know, a traits guy, there's a lot to like with Josh Allen. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield, you know, I, look, I, I think he, he's the best quarterback in the draft and he did nothing to change that. Um, I did find it interesting how much work he put into to try to get comfortable with his centers, uh, working under center, uh, to try to make that as smooth as possible. Uh, and, and I like, you know, there were, there were, there were some things that he did that I found interesting. What, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me is he, he had some difficulty rolling to his left uh, in terms of accuracy, which isn't a big deal. I think some of that is because, you know, Oklahoma didn't ask him to roll. They basically either slid him or, you know, did some other things where he was basically always facing forward. And then in this, they sort of asked him to, you know, actually flip around, which is an adjustment. But in terms of, uh, you know, when you had a defense on the field, Baker Mayfield carved them up. He was really impressive. Uh, the the Baker Mayfield to Michael Gallup uh, connection was really, really good. Uh, and one of those things where you basically, you know, sit there looking at it going, man, I, I wouldn't mind taking this pair and just putting them on the Browns right now. So, yes, you're they're absolutely right. Uh, confirmation bias is huge. Uh, and there are definitely people who, who came away going – you know, thinking Baker Mayfield is, you know, whatever character-wise, that Allen has all these traits that are going to make him great in the NFL. But to me, I felt like uh, what I saw on tape is what I saw uh, in Mobile. Hmm. Uh, the the practices are what matter. Absolutely. And, uh, and then the the meetings. Uh, that's you know, that's a, the biggest part about all this is it gives teams a chance to sort of really uh, investigate and get to meet these guys even if they're going to meet him again at the combine or in another event, this is sort of the least agent sort of washed. They're going to be right. Uh, you're going to get the rawest sort of version of themselves. So it's it sort of uh, interesting from that standpoint, which also makes it more interesting from guys like my perspective who go and talk to these guys who haven't been super prepped and all that. And they're more likely to, you know, be off the cuff or, or swear or whatever they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, be themselves. It's more, yeah. you know, it's an all-star game and, uh, you know, in some respects they, they sort of enjoy that part of it. So, so you went to all the practices, right? Like I feel like the casual Browns fan, maybe listens to a couple podcasts, doesn't watch the practices on NFL network, but they maybe watch the game. Obviously like during the game, Baker Mayfield wasn't super impressive and he left after at halftime. What did you see? between Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield and maybe other quarterbacks that you happen to watch a lot of um, while watching the practices? Um, you know, the, people will say, you know, it's hard to really tell watching in the stands. People will say that uh, Baker Mayfield, you know, players gravitated tor- toward him. Uh, he was certainly a guy who was very uh, good about sort of celebrating his teammates, even when it was other quarterbacks making plays. He'd sort of go dap them up, dap the guy caught the ball. Um, I thought he was somewhat toned down 
this week, and and I don't think that's because of the whole job interview thing. I think it was because of the the situation with his mom in the hospital. I think um, he probably would have been sort of more lighthearted, more fun this week, uh, and and potentially do something that you know maybe people don't like uh, because he's sort of having fun with it. But because of the the seriousness of his mom's medical situation. Uh, I think he was a little bit more about business, a little bit more just goal oriented. Uh, and, and I think, you know, th there's some talk that maybe that rubbed people the wrong way in terms of uh, away from the field that maybe it wasn't as uh, kind or courteous or whatever to huh. the uh, staff or whomever, or whatever, what, anyone else. So, you know, that's one of the things where teams are going to sort of have to do their own investigation. Uh, Josh Allen, you know, You've probably seen it, like Mary Kay and the. He's that. a good old boy. They love Josh Allen, the interview guy, because he did everything for everybody, uh, and which he's is from good. Wyoming. I mean, he should. He's from Wyoming. He should. Everyone's gonna love him. Come on, like there's no way he had a bad influence in his entire life. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I mean, he's sort of more popular in terms of the old school media style, where Baker Mayfield sort of has a little bit more of an edge. Uh, I mean, he's done this. I think there's an element of been been there, done that with him. Uh, whereas Josh Allen, a lot of this is sort of new. Um, he's gotten attention, but certainly I think this was, you know, a new level of it. Uh, and he certainly took the time to do everything, which, you know, mm -hmm. always makes me happy. Um, but, uh, you know, nothing that sort of stood out one way or the other. Where you're like, man, this is such a great guy. He's going to, you know change the Browns culture wise or anything like that, just from sort of watching practice. But yeah. uh, it, it's just run of the mill. Well, t talk about earlier confirmation bias. what do you think about Tony Grossi covering uh, the Browns saying that talking about um, Baker Mayfield saying that he uh, arrived fashionably late and also snuck out early in one of his articles. Like that's probably the most like, heavily like biased wording that you could ever put into an article. Um, well, I know that you have a different opinion than Tony Grossi and my favorite thing to do on the podcast is throw Tony Grossi under the bus. So I would love for you to help push Tony Grossi under the bus with me here on the pod, Pete. Well, part of it is, <laughs> you know, Tony Grossi doesn't leave Ohio to go do this. stuff. Yeah. It's not like he, was, yeah. he wasn't at the senior bowl. He's never been in the same room as, as Baker Mayfield, which isn't to say he can't have an opinion. Certainly he's allowed to do that, but you know, he does, he's made it very clear. He doesn't want Baker Mayfield. So yep. he certainly seems to be inclined to want to write things that are already going to point, uh, paint Baker Mayfield in sort of a more negative light. Yes. He showed up late, but here's what I'll tell you. The senior bowl was thrilled. Like they were beside themselves that they that he was going at all. The thing and is, his mom was in the hospital. Like I just like that pisses me off. No, like it actually gets me fired up that someone can write an article and like paint someone in a negative light for doing something that's gonna hurt his career. Instead, visit his mom in the hospital. Like it's just like you can't paint that in a negative light. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Got fired up there, Pete. Oh, I'm <laughs> with you. But this is the thing: is like. Baker Mayfield had a a perfectly reasonable excuse to not go. Exactly. Uh, yeah, he's so, a he's a classic type of prospect that doesn't go to the Senior Bowl, like in in past years. But 
knowing him and then, you know, listening to the, the, the things he wanted to sort of go and showcase, um, it seemed really, really important that he go. But again, he was him and Josh Allen. They were the stars. And if you watch yeah. practices and sort of how who the media gravitated toward, it was Baker Mayfield. I mean, Josh Allen certainly had a ton of attention. Don't get me wrong, but people were. It was palpable with Baker Mayfield. So, yes, he was late. And but but from the Senior Bowl standpoint, they got him at all, which is all they wanted because he was a huge selling point to all these mm-hmm. people coming down to the to the to the senior bowl. I mean there were a couple sort of stories into this. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Shaquem Griffin, those were guys, you know, those were those were guys that you talk, you know, you convinced your editor or whoever to let yeah. you go to cover these guys. So it, from from a sales standpoint from all that Yes, you can you can make the argument. Well, he's fashionably late and left early, but if you're Phil Savage over there, he's high fiving everybody he can find that he got this guy, uh, that it's basically the b- biggest quarterback they've had since Carson Wentz and then Derek Carr before that. Yeah, um, it was a big deal. And even with Carson Wentz, it's not like he had caught on to the point. Like the Senior Bowl proved to be a vault for him. Baker Mayfield is the Heisman Trophy winner. That's a you know. First paragraph of the uh, of the uh, of, of the immemorium type thing mm-hmm. like that never goes away. That's a huge story. I don't if he's 75 years old, it's a big deal that he's the Heisman Trophy winner, and they get him at the you know the 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 landmark All Star game. So for sure, I, I you can make the case if you want that fashionably late and all that. All I can tell you is the Senior Bowl was absolutely beside themselves that he was there. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it was huge for the. Reese's Senior Bowl is huge for Reese's, but I think it should be sponsored by Barbasol. Personal opinion, Barbasol is <laughs> just a better product than Reese's is. Um, anyway, so you, your personal opinion, you like Baker Mayfield the most out of all the quarterbacks. Do you like Baker Mayfield so much that you would pick him number one overall? Just like your your personal unbiased if, opinion. If you were John Dorsey. If you were John Dorsey, would you pick Baker Mayfield number one overall? Yes, in a heartbeat, and uh, and I would try to see if I couldn't get the Giants to sort of flip picks, uh, basically try to get them to buy buy into the idea that we're going to take the guy they want, uh, if it's Rosen or or Darnold, whoever. But uh, to me, Baker Mayfield is Drew Brees, uh, and Josh Rosen, who I, I would also be very happy with, is a better Jared Goff. I don't think you lose with either of those. Where I get worried is is after that Sam Darnold you know I, I, he's very talented but you have to have a plan the Browns aren't exactly in a position to have a plan and John Josh Allen to me is has never been in the conversation with the Browns uh but I think the Jets are just stupid enough to pick him oh he he <laughs> seems like a Jets pick doesn't he and, and, and it's gonna it, happen because he'll be the fourth quarterback there there'll be three gone the Jets still need a quarterback and they'll take him and it'll be terrible Right, and they may trade up to get him. They may actually move up to the Colts to get him. There's talk that the Colts want to move down uh, and and take Quentin Nelson, which surprises me. I would think they'd be you know thrilled to just take Bradley Chubb, but uh, that's they want at least Quentin Nelson. They love Quentin Nelson, and 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 I think what the Colts want to do, and and speculation on my part would be, they with Josh McDaniels, I think they're going to try to get Le'Veon Bell, make a big big pitch. For him, uh, if they can get Quentin Nelson or Bradley Chubb, either one is a win for them. And then if you have a healthy Andrew Luck, suddenly you've got a palpable buzz for the Colts 
uh, after sort of the, the the muck that they've been in the last like year and a half. I mean, that's not bad. Honestly, Quentin Nelson's my favorite prospect to watch on tape because he just mauls people. I've never seen an offensive lineman, specifically an interior offensive lineman, that's more fun to watch like on tape than Quentin Nelson. But, I mean, even at six, that's that seems that's crazy to me. Early. So we talked about Shaquem Griffin before. Um, you mentioned him. He's been the talk of a lot of people um, throughout the college football season and even into this um, all-star game and into the draft process because he was born um, with amniotic band syndrome and he had his um, left hand or right hand, I forget which hand it is, amputated early in the year um, when he was two years old. How did he do in the like senior bowl practices from your perspective? I'm a UCF grad. I watched a ton of Shaquem Griffin play in college. I'm all in on Shaquem Griffin. I think the dude could play at this level um, two hands or not. What do you think, Pete? Uh, so it's his left hand that, that uh, he doesn't have. Uh, here, here's the thing. They lined him up at, as an edge rusher. They lined him up as a linebacker. They even lined him up as a safety, which, you know, got a few jokes. Um, he, here's the thing. Wherever they put him, he plays fast. It doesn't matter what he's doing. He's going to go fast. Uh, and, and he does not get tired. He will give you whatever he's got for as long as he's got it. Uh, and, and, you know, with or without that hand, somebody's going to bet on this kid. Uh, and, and if they don't, he's the type of guy where he's going to come back and make somebody pay for it. Um, even if he's nothing more than just a special teams guy uh, that just flies down and hits people, he'll be great at that because he's such a good tackler. Um, but don't be surprised. Don't. I mean, look, it, it's so weird how the NFL sort of reacts to things. And, and, and you know, this whole Sha- – Shaquem Griffin thing reminds me of a couple years ago when Adrian Claiborne and they were freaking out that one arm was longer than the other or something. (laughs) You've got this kid who, you know, legitimately does not have a hand, but he was great. Like his production is outstanding. He's a tremendous athlete. I loved his brother last year as a corner. Like he's just in a lot of ways, he has that stuff that, you know, Baker Mayfield has where he just gives you that sense of you don't want to bet against him and, 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 Griffin was great in terms of, you know, media and everything. He sort of enjoyed, enjoyed it. Uh, he's got, you know, he's just a winning personality, winning smile. He's just that type of guy that's going to make, I think some team's going to fall in love with him and bet on him. And it wouldn't be surprising at all if it was a team like Seattle and Pete Carroll, that just seems right up his alley. Well, his brother's but, there, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and that's another reason that I think it could play well, but um, you know, if it doesn't work and somebody drafts him, people can make their jokes or whatever. I think it's just a great, great story and a no-lose situation for somebody. Uh, but, I, you know, he's a kid I'll bet on. Yeah, no. I mean, having watched him for the past two seasons play, and the reason they lined him up at safety, that's what he came into UCFS. He, he was a safety initially. They dropped him down to edge rusher, um, and he thrived. This kid can play. Yeah. I mean, he was that. Um, AAC player of the year, defensive player of the year two years ago. Um, what round do you, if, if there wasn't this question of if he has two hands or not, to me, he seems like a borderline first round talent. Would you agree with that? Or where would you put him if there wasn't this question, this like unknown NFL teams don't, don't do well with like unknowns and risk. 
Uh, where would you put him if there wasn't that risk surrounding him? Uh, probably fringe day two player uh, because ultimately I think he'd be a true linebacker at that point. He'd be a really good one. Uh, what... But they they don't tend to go you know super you know super high anyway. Right. I mean you've even got like Roquan Smith to me is a top ten talent, uh, and you've even got people like Dar- Dar- uh, Daniel Jeremiah sort of trying to move him down because they don't feel like he's technically big enough, even though he's the exact same size as Ruben Foster was last year. Right. Uh, it's just hard to sort of be, you know, looked at as a linebacker and get all the, like the Levante David is a good example of a guy that got knocked for being quote unquote too small, went in the second round. He's great. So that would be sort of where Shaquem Griffin could go that day two range. Uh, and there's going to be guys like that this year. Uh, you know, the guy who sort of reminds me of that, you know, the what if he had two hands thing is Darius Leonard, uh, South Carolina State, who I really liked going into there. Uh, he's, he's sort of in that mold of just a great athlete who can fly around and do stuff. But, yeah, Shaquem Griffin, uh, hell of a football player. Maybe they can sort of figure out a way to let him uh, overcome this and, and figure out a way they can sort of club up his hand or something. I don't know, that makes it a little more useful. But that's the thing that kills me is that we have linebackers who break their hand and play with a club. Or then you have Jason Pierre Paul who blows his fingers off with fireworks and he can come back and play and nobody bats an eye at it. But suddenly somebody who grows up without a hand and has played football for 18 years without a hand, like they're, it's somehow like a detriment. Way it doesn't make apt. any sense to me at all. Yeah. They're way more apt to do it than someone who just all of a sudden lost some of their fingers. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that, that I, w- I would be ecstatic if we got him in some of those mid rounds, like second day sort of pick, because we need a linebacker. We need so, some depth at linebacker. The Browns just don't have that, and we saw it later on. Sashi would have picked him. No, that, Sashi that would have been a, a Sashi Paul D. Podesta pick. No, for, for sure. sure. For sure. They're like, look at the stats. He produces. Yeah. Like, he's a good player. Like, I don't care if he has no arms at all. Like, if he's a good football player, then we're going to pick him. Um, so moving on, um, I'm just wondering, what do you think Pete, um, about Todd Haley as our new offensive corner? That's obviously a big, so we're doing our pod every two weeks now at this point during the off season. Um, we initially thought the news would be a little bit slower, but it actually hasn't been at all. It's been super, super intense. Um, but what do you think about Todd Haley? Obviously you've seen him as we played him twice a year, every year for the past six years, or is that what it is? Yeah. Um, what what do you think about him as our new OC and Hugh giving up play calling abilities? Well, that's a dynamic I'm interested to see. Uh, if Hugh can sort of restrain himself from like backseat play calling or whatever and driving Todd Haley to sort of Kevin Gilbride him uh, and get after him. Um, so at, at the very least, Todd Haley brings credibility. Whatever you want to say about him, his issues off the field, uh, getting arrested at that what tequila cowboy or whatever he was at. Uh, <laughs> He's a and some of the other things. <laughs> yeah, Todd Haley sounds chill. <laughs> some of the other uh, <laughs> issues he's had in his past, he's credible. Like you know, yeah. if you hired the quarterback coach, uh, you know there were going to be some questions about could he do it. I mean, at the very least, you can say Todd Haley has a legitimate track record, both obviously with the Steelers and then as head coach of the Chiefs. Uh, my question is how much did we really see 
of a Todd Haley offense in Pittsburgh. And that's not because Todd Haley's bad or anything. It's because Ben Roethlisberger doesn't really run any plays. He just sort of, I mean, he on, on those <coughs> quick passes. Yeah. But so often Ben Roethlisberger goes whale in the backfield, lets people fall off of him a few times and then sort of, you know, improvises the play. That's not play calling. It's Ben doing what he wants. So I'm sort of curious to see uh, what how that looks without Ben Roethlisberger, without Antonio Brown, and without Le'Veon Bell. Um, the quick passing part of it I like because that goes against everything Hugh Jackson did. Yeah. Um, and and I and I like the idea of actually running the ball. Um, I'm I guess I'm kind of curious to see how the rest of the staff fills out because there's a bunch of openings that are still there. Um, but yeah, I, I, he's credible. My, my big thing with any of these coaching hires is I'm not sure any of them last more than a year. So it's hard for me to really care. Like right. <laughs> I, I, I don't envision a scenario where, you know, Hugh Jackson's going to be here in a year. So unless Todd Haley's going to be, you know, the head coach or Greg Williams, you know, they're all gone in a year anyway. So I guess the question is, does Todd Haley work well with, Alex Smith, uh, conceivably he would, or short Kirk passing Cousins. game. It would seem like well, conceivably he would, or if he if he gets a young quarterback, can he sort of adapt around them? And and I don't know enough about that, but uh, yeah, I, I guess the overall message here is he's credible. Yeah, my my biggest question with this hire is, I mean. Greg Williams is a noted huge personality. Todd Haley's a, a pretty like strong headed dude and hasn't gotten along with everybody that he's worked with. And then you've got Hugh Jackson in the mix. I'm kind of worried about the, the three of them and how that's going to mix together. Hugh, like is, Hugh is that even going to work? Hugh Jackson's just like the definition of a wild card. Like, like you just never know what he's going to say, but he's going to cover his own ass while he does it. Like, I just don't know how he squeezes into the middle of that. You, oh, this is this has look. If they if they let him on hard knocks or insist on hard knocks, <laughs> this is going to be sort of a fireworks. Display. I will watch every episode and um, watch it again. And this has all the makings of a book <clears throat> that comes out five years about what really happened, or oh yeah, you know, a coach player fight or a coach on coach fight or something. <laughs> yeah. you know, it, a memoir. How yeah, Hugh Jackson I, I ruined know. my life. The only well. Yeah. The, the, only, the only thing I, I will say is I don't believe for a second that Hugh Jackson wasn't totally in on this. Only because if he wasn't, then this thing's going to go to shit in about, you know, yeah. week two. Yeah. They're going to be at each other's throat. He had to be all in on this. Or, or it, it could have picked anyone else and not gone. With, you, you had to be in on Todd Haley. Or this is going to be a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So, Pete, I, I don't know if you've listened to – have you listened to Joe Thomas's podcast with um, Hawkins, the Tomahawk pod at all? Yes. Okay. So if you've listened to that, you know that Joe has been a fairly big defender of Hugh Jackson and keeping him around. Um, and didn't sound like he wasn't a fan of Sashi Brown personally, but didn't really like the idea how do you feel about that and kind of the idea that it's just harder to lose in the NFL? 
which is kind of a big theme that Joe has has pushed that Sashi and Paul De Podesta maybe didn't quite comprehend how difficult and like the toll it took on people to lose in the NFL. Uh, from Joe Thomas's standpoint, I get all of it. I, I, I'm with I, I. You know, if I put myself in his shoes, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be right there with him. If I'm a you know 31 year old, you know, on my way to the Hall of Fame guy who's never really had any success. Am I going to be excited about the idea of basically tearing it down, uh, you know, willingly lose a bunch of games in the hopes that, you know, you're going to have this window potentially after I retire? Um, no, I, that you know, that nobody's going to be excited about that in Joe Thomas's shoes. You know, the pushback on that is um, – you know, Alex Mack, they made a really competitive offer with, and it came down to a tough decision for him, and he ultimately chose Atlanta. Tayshawn Gibson, you just saw what, what you know, in the playoffs, just how much the Browns missed him as he got torched in both games. He he wasn't uh, that good. So, I mean, the guys they let go, you know, you can say it adds up. Mitchell Schwartz is the one that hurts, but it's not like Sean Coleman has lost the Browns in the games. Um, but, it, you know, so, yes – it's all frustrating and all that, but at the same time, as much as they may have lost, you know, four wins maybe, uh, even though Hugh Jackson cost them far more, um, you're at least going to say they, you know, did they really go backwards or did they, it just look uglier uh, the way they chose to go, go about it? So from that standpoint, I completely get it. I completely understand. Uh Defending Hugh Jackson only because Joe Thomas has defended every coach ever. Um, he's just, just is he move. just that good of a guy? Like like he just can't say something bad about somebody. Well, no, th- it's funny because when Joe Thomas talks about other teams, he's not afraid to sort of let it loose, and he's never been afraid to sort of uh, criticize Commissioner Goodell. Uh, but right. He's, he's a good soldier uh, when it comes to the Browns, and and you know. There are a lot of people in that building, in that locker room, who do really like Hugh Jackson for whatever reason. I know there's some that don't, um, and and one of them's on the Patriots. But uh, there there are some guys who really really do believe in what he's selling. Um, you know, I don't know how long that's going to last. Uh, but so Joe Thomas is is going to be the that sort of the veteran way to look at this. If if you were to get inside sort of one of these young players' heads. A guy like Chris Kirksey, um, he might be a little bit more like I, I, you know, this sucks going through this. And and look, losing in football sucks. You have a week to sit there and boil on it after physically getting beat down. Um, it's not easy. And and the the pod they did with him and a hawk where he's sort of talking about what it's like to sort of have to talk yourself into it every week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's absolutely true. And, you know, even from a coaching standpoint, that's that's difficult. Uh, it's not like baseball where you can sort of, you know, you've got a game that next day or basketball. You at most you've got one two days away that you're right back out there. Football it just sort of sits there and, and just the physical demand it is incredibly difficult. But, uh, you know, Chris Kirksey is another guy who's who's uh, first. He's great in terms of being when you listen to him talk uh, and he's a, he's a, another true believer in terms of what the Browns are doing. But, uh, you know, I think behind closed doors, if you got him to admit it, he's probably pretty excited about, the, you know, as much as this sucked going through it, 
where the Sashi project has sort of ended up, where he suddenly got Miles Garrett, he suddenly got Larry Ogunjobi and all these other guys in front of him, where he's going to look really, really good. Uh, he's got Joe Schober next to him, obviously, pro ball alternate. And, and based on his stats, Chris Kirksey deserved to go just as much as Schobert did. Uh, so, you know, with, with Thomas, it, I totally get it from his perspective. Uh, I actually thought the, the pod he did was more instructive and had a better sort of overall picture than I think his article did. Um, if you've listened to it, yeah, like, I, agree. I think his, I think his article was a little bit more hard hitting and a little more, you know, had a little more edge to it. And when he actually sort of talked about it, you sort of got, he sort of appreciated both sides of it, even though he ultimately had, you know, his, his deciding viewpoint. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I did it. How do you feel about what would your temperature be with Joe Thomas? I've kind of gone back and forth this off season of, of whether I think that he's, I don't, I don't think that he knows yet, but whether I think that he's going to come back or if he's going to retire, I mean, obviously he's going to be able to write his own ticket coming out, especially with what he's done since he's been injured and the, the media and how he's just a natural at it. Like he's just an engaging personality. Like he's going to be able to do whatever he wants. Um, what do you think? Do you think he's going to come back or do you think he's going to walk away? Um, I, I, I have heard he actually has not really decided himself. Uh, that Which I actually, believe. I, be, I believe that. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, I believe he's going to come back. Um, I don't for, for a number of reasons. First, Look, there's however many million dollars sitting there, and he's. It's not a situation where Joe Thomas is, you know, on his last legs or something. He was legitimately dominant uh, this past season before he got hurt. He's still great, and and you know, for these players, you know, and he talked about. If you listen to his latest podcast with Hawkins, that really told me, and 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 we'll see. I could be dead wrong. He said a lot of stuff that made me think he's going to come back. First and foremost, he went on sort of a five-minute conversation, framing it around Tom Brady about how if anyone convinces him to stop before he's really done, that he's basically going to hold it against them for, right. you know, um, and, and, you know, maybe that he's truly just talking about Tom Brady, but I have to think at least partly he was sort of talking from Joe Thomas's standpoint. Um, in addition to the fact when he was talking about the Browns, he used a whole lot of wheeze and a whole lot of talking about what can happen in the off season. And I think this on a certain level, and it's not sort of at the top of his mind, but I do think he sort of sees that if he retires like this, that he's sort of leaving them a little bit of a lurch. And I don't think he wants to do that. Like, I think that he sort of appreciates that, uh, yes, you could survive with Spencer Drango, but he sort of would be forcing them uh, to sort of speed up and maybe almost panic at left tackle as opposed to if he comes back, they can sort of get a guy and plan ahead a little bit and get ready for it. But I think most 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 of it revolves around the fact is I don't think Joe Thomas wants I think he wants to walk off the field and remember what it's like to walk off the field because if you've heard him talk about it, he almost doesn't remember a thing about the tricep. Uh, so he just sort of remembers the pain and everything. I think he actually wants to sort of get to walk off the field under his own power, sort of taking all that. 
and and look, he's obviously dabbling with the media, but as you said, he could be in TV tomorrow if that's what he wants to do. And and I think part of this is the Browns are really indulging him with everything. And with with the podcast he's doing, he's got one through the team. I don't know if he's going to quit doing that. But the one he's doing right now, it's, he's, he gets to do it on his own schedule. He's sort of just having fun. Uh, he's not on something where he has to do something, whereas if he got into TV, he'd sort of be locked in. So he could easily, you know, go back to playing. And then, you know, he's had his toe in the water and sort of plan ahead what he wants to do if he wants to be in media or whatever. Ultimately, he could easily be, you know, Doug Deacon for the next 20 years, or he could be in a national booth for the next 20 years. It's basically whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. He could, he could, the, the, the key point is he could be in the media tomorrow or he could be in the media in two years. Like he's going to write his own ticket. And I'd like to believe, I choose to believe the narrative that he is behind the Cleveland Browns organization. And he said it before. He wants to be here when this thing turns around. And he seems super and optimistic about, so optimistic where, about this, yeah, where this can go tomorrow. Yeah. No, he is. And like he is the face of what uh, I want a Cleveland Brown to be. Um, like he's all for this entire organization moving forward. And I really think he'll play a few more years. At least barring a couple more injuries, I think that he's all in. All right, Pete. I, I, I've not ruled out the possibility that he will sign another contract. Really? I, yeah. And it's purely it, like when you saw him, him like help Drango and stuff, you could see how just stupidly madly in love he is with this game. He loves uh, it. He also is really takes care of himself. Like if you watch that, like he's talking all about. I mean, just I'm sure tons of NFL players do yoga, but he's constantly thinking about from the beginning of his career, he's been thinking about lasting a long time in this league. And right. from his injury history, he is one of the players that certainly could. He uh, he also lost a bunch of weight, which people are focusing on. Uh, part of that is because he was injured. Uh, and I expect he's a guy who actually has difficulty keeping on weight. But I would hastily remind people, he did this last year. He lost a bunch of weight. Yeah, we met uh, we met him at the Super Bowl last year, thin. and he he was not NFL left tackle sized, but no. even four, five, six weeks after the season ended, um, yeah, I, I think he drops same, weight real quick. He subscribed to the same idea as LeBron did, where he basically decided he didn't want to carry a bunch of weight all off season to try to help his body recover. So again, he may have not have decided, but I think most of this is a difficult. The fact that he's a guy who struggles to keep on weight, uh, but he's also, if he decides he wants to be in, I have no doubt he could easily get right back to his old self real quick. I, I also think part of it yeah. is if he's so he's not fat, like he's just a big guy, he's the type of guy who strikes me as he, if he lost 15 pounds, he's just going to look super skinny. He's just strong. Yeah, because he's six foot five or six six, like whatever. I mean, he's he's just a big dude. Pete, one last question I want to ask you about the Senior Bowl. Uh, I'm intrigued by this this offensive lineman from Army. I've, I've, his name is slipping my mind right now. Brett Toth. Yeah, Toth. Um, people are talking about him as being being left tackle capable, which is huge in the NFL. He he may have to serve for two years before he's eligible, which is kind you're, of an unusual situation. You're showing your colors, Matthew, um, as a – a Sashi Brown yeah. disciple. Yeah. What do What's you, the value? What of? is what is your take on him? Um, specifically, if we have Joe Thomas for the next two years, and then him being able to come in, uh, do you think he's going to be a 
a capable left tackle in this league, or is that a stretch? Um, so Brett Toth, he is really well built. Uh, he he like he's six six three hundred and like eight pounds, uh, and he looks built. Like he stood next to Brian O'Neill, who's a bulked up tight end, and he was noticeably bigger and thicker. Um, moves really well. Uh, the thing was coming into the Senior Bowl. You know, so much of it about, is about pass protection and the pit drills and those one-on-ones, which are great to watch and certainly something that they love to show on TV. Um, but Army threw the ball 65 times this past year, so he was going to be at a massive disadvantage. He knew it, but I give him a lot of credit because he just basically went at it as hard as he could, tried to take as much coaching as he could, uh, and just you know went out there and tr- did his best. Uh, got beat, but you know you knew that was going to happen, and you try not to get too caught up in that. And I think he had a really good attitude about it. Like when I talked to him, I basically said, all you did is compete. And he made, he goes, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that because you know, this is, this is what it is. Um, yes, he's got his military commitment. And when I asked, I asked him the very simple question, what do you want to do? Uh, and he said, look, he's going to serve his, whatever he has to do, but he wants to see how far his, you know, he can go in the NFL yeah. And then whenever that finishes up, he wants to go back and, and be a you know career military. And my understanding is he's an engineer, uh, so he'll be doing something along those lines. Um, he's a project, which is fine because you're not going to see him for basically you know a year and a half or whatever. Um, and and it, it, my the way it's been reported is he's got a bunch of leaves saved up. So whoever drafts him or signs him or whatever, he's going to basically take like two months and go work with them and then go do his military service thing. I don't think you can think of him in terms of uh, heir to Joe Thomas, but because the Browns have so many picks, because the Browns uh, could be in a position where they're sitting there in a day three pick uh, and and maybe not want to putting not want to have a guy put on the roster for right now, I do think there's a situation where Brett Toth becomes a really intriguing prospect. Uh, I'll be curious to see how he tests athletically, but to me, he's got prototypical tackle traits and i think it's a little easier for toth in the fact that there's a sort of a role model and sort of a path that you've seen work with this in alejandro villanueva who's with the steelers now but he played wide receiver at army which which is just blows my mind (laughs) yeah he showed up as as a 6'9 210 (laughs) receiver uh and then that's incredible that's how you know that you surely bulked up uh but you know that that but you now you obviously six nine wide receiver though like six nine two ten baby that's Uh, crazy that's uh, matthew skinny yeah (laughs) that's that's me plus like six inches (laughs) but like i i I think because of villanueva's success even though miles garrett took his lunch money that that teams will sort of look at it with a little bit more of an open mind and, and i definitely came away impressed with Toth and wanting to know more about him is certainly, you know, whatever he would do in the NFL would be easier than what he's accustomed to doing an average day at West Point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's got the work ethic. All right. So one last quick question for you. The Browns fans are dying to know the answer. Pete, if you were going to pick one of the free or one of the two quarterbacks between Kirk Cousins, signing him to a huge long-term contract or trading for Alex Smith, what would it be? Um, I would take 
I would probably trade for Alex Smith because I think they're basically the same quarterback, uh, and I don't have to be stuck with him for a long-term deal. I think Kirk Cousins is actually going to try to shoot for a three-year deal. So, you know, the idea, uh, you know, the, the idea that Kirk Cousins takes you out of the quarterback derby in the draft, I don't buy. Uh, I, I think ultimately what you can do, and, and I don't think if you're trying to make a pitch to Kirk Cousins, I don't think you try to lie to him or anything. Is you basically take say, look, you're going to be here for, you know, three years or whatever it is. Uh, we're going to take Sam Darnold because that would be the guy that makes sense in that situation. Mm -hmm. But we still have, you know, 11 other picks and all this free agent money to sort of help you out. Uh, whereas all these other teams uh, are still going to only have one first pit round pick and we still got, have extra picks to sort of give you more help. Uh, but, you know, I think – you know, they would be following that Packers model a little bit and getting sort of the guy after after Favre and Aaron Rodgers and taking their time with him. It's not like Kirk Cousins need to be threatened by Sam Darnold. Yeah, we can only uh, Right. But uh, so, I, you know, I don't love either option a ton. I don't really love the idea of trading to base, trading or paying a ton of money for credibility uh, because I think either one of those situations points them more in the direction of, of Darnold who scares me more than the other two. Uh, but, you know, I don't, can't blame the Browns if they're going to say after this past year that they're, they're going to make sure they're not put into a situation like that, that even if they were to take a, a Rosen or a Mayfield, they want to make sure they get somebody who's done this and had success. And obviously Alex Smith is coming off a, a great pro bowl season for him. Super efficient where he was simply better than cousins. Uh, that's sort of the thing that bothers me is the idea that you're going to be paying somewhere around the neighborhood of $90 million for a guy who's not as good as uh, Alex Smith or, or at best is sort of the same thing. And I feel like we've seen this movie before with Jeff Garcia, even though, uh, you know, nobody's going to expect it, it blows up as badly as Butch Davis did by trying to make Jeff Gar <laughs> Garcia do something he wasn't equipped to do. Right. But even so, you know, if, if you're telling me that you're going to pick Kirk Cousins, uh, what does that do for your expectation level? And if they don't, you know, aren't good right now, what is that going to say when you're spending a fortune on this guy to sort of save your franchise? Yeah. yeah so Pete, uh, what makes you believe that Kirk Cousins is looking for a three-year deal? Is that something that you're hearing from people or is that just kind of what you would do if you were in his situation being like 27 years old and hitting the free agent market? So that's sort of been bandied about a little bit uh, that a three-year deal uh, would take him to about 33 years old. And because of the way he's been franchise tagged, that he's just been able to sort of cash in, cash in for these huge contracts, that he's in a position where he can sort of control his own, mar control his own market a little bit, cash in for big money. But the other part of it is if he, whether he goes to Jacksonville, whether he goes to Cleveland, whether he goes to Denver – uh, especially in the case of Jacksonville, it looks really good for him right this second, but it may change in a couple of years. And I think he wants to sort of give himself the ability to sort of keep controlling his own fate uh, and sort of be able to pick another team if ultimately things don't work with any of those teams. And, and to me, I think it's ultimately going to come between Denver and uh, Jacksonville. But Denver is about to basically blow up the thing and get rid of everybody who isn't nailed down? Uh, so I, you know that's why Jacksonville ultimately makes the most sense in the sense in the fact that they're ready for a Super Bowl right now with Kirk Cousins. Mm -hmm. uh, but in any case, I think it's just it 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 makes more sense 
And I think you sort of take a play, play out of the Daryl Revis playbook where you can, you know, keep these teams in a position where they have to keep paying you premium, premium money. And Kirk Cousins is going to ultimately be able to make a fortune. Whereas if he goes, you know, five years, you know, a hundred and something million, he's ultimately probably going to lose money. And then he doesn't have as much, much control. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like a Kirk Cousins move to gamble on himself. He seems like a overly confident, right. cocky, arrogant guy that he's been doubling down on himself. No. And it's been the right move every single time. Every single so time. Good, so it, good for him. There's man. no reason he's going to stop now. Um, that's an interesting perspective that I haven't haven't heard yet. Anyway, thanks so much, Pete. We're going to let you go. Um, Pete Smith. He's one of our good friends. Follow him on Twitter. Um, he definitely shaves with Barbasol razors and shaving cream because he's just a good guy. Um, it, it, honestly, Pete Smith might be the best thing that's happened to Barbasol since uh, their new razors. You're looking good, America. You're looking good, Pete. Shave with Barbasol. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Anything for you. That was just for you, Pete, not Barbasol in any way. <laughs> <laughs> No, but seriously, man, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate you. We love getting your insight, um, getting your inside look into the Senior Bowl. Um, thanks so much. Um, you have a great rest of your week. I appreciate it. I'm always happy to do it. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. It's always great talking to Pete. Um, we love interacting with him on Twitter. And um, the Surviving the Season guys, they talk to Pete um, decently often. Um, that was fun having someone's inside perspective going to the senior bowl, hearing a little bit about what that's like in mobile. I think we need to do that next year. Yeah. That no, sounds amazing. No, seriously. If we can, if we can like, get ourselves why, there. Why weren't we there? We should have been there this year. I don't know. Just honestly slipped our minds. All of us. Um, so there was something that over the past couple of weeks we've wanted to talk about on the podcast, but it has just literally slipped our minds. Um, and that's that, uh, video that was on instagram on twitter it was miles garrett playing basketball holy hell so miles garrett like it, it was like the most like sage situation i've ever seen it was like somebody told miles garrett that he could totally like like no I no no no, no nobody like, no. tells miles garrett to do anything no, miles garrett no. told them to no. do this no i swear someone challenged miles garrett and was like hey dude i can totally dunk on you and miles garrett said hey bro you over there videotape this this guy's gonna try to dunk on me that's hilarious and so this guy comes running from out of frame, goes, tries to dunk. Miles Garrett comes from out of frame, out of bounds. Like, it's not a basketball situation in any way whatsoever. Completely, like, completely meets him halfway, dominates him, grabs the ball. I'm pretty sure he comes down with the ball. It's what I imagine Miles Garrett pictured he would do to Ben Roethlisberger this year if, <laughs> if he actually got to play him. Pre-draft situation. Yeah, no doubt. Like, you you see the guy coming to dunk the ball, and he looks like reasonably athletic, and you're like, all right, yeah, all it's right. Like, it's like this is a Miles, huge black dude. Yeah, like, like he's then, about to slam this down. Yeah, and then Miles Garrett comes in, and you're like, oh, this is a mismatch <laughs> just from the start. Like Miles Garrett is a freak. Like I've never seen his his brother played Miles played in NBA, Sean James. Williams. Well, have you heard the? Did you hear, listen to the Joe Thomas podcast where he interviewed Miles Garrett? His older brother plays played in the NBA, Sean Williams. Miles okay. um, Garrett plays him one on one and beats him. He says all the time. No way. Which is just absurd. I mean, That's his, fantastic. his brother's like six ten, six eleven, like kind yeah. of a, a post player. So, I I guess if you could shoot, you could beat him. But still, you play in the freaking NBA and you beat your older brother playing one on one. That's crazy. That's that's how talented of an athlete we have. 
at our right end position. I cannot and wait. I can't wait for, for him. Ugh. Sixteen games next year. So be many more years of so many more sacks. That's what we can look forward to as Browns fans. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate you guys, um, especially those Tokyo listeners. Um, you guys are fantastic. So faithful. So faithful. We have so many faithful Tokyo listeners. And uh, thanks for the emails you're sending. Um, we're not quite understanding them, but we appreciate it. Um, keep sending them, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>